Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the CBS Evening News ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Tonight, the final countdown in the race to get Americans out of Afghanistan, with just six days until the deadline. How many U.S. citizens are still trying to leave? Flights leaving Kabul every 39 minutes. Our new reporting on secret helicopter missions to get CIA personnel to the airport. While thousands of Afghans are waiting in sewage-lined streets outside the gates. And our exclusive interview with the top U.S. diplomat in Afghanistan. What happens to the Americans not out by the deadline? The COVID battle. Pediatric hospitalizations in the South reach a new high. Why health officials say it's only going to get worse. Plus, if you got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, news tonight about a booster shot. The lost students. In our Back to School series, the search for 3 million students nationwide who haven't been to school in a year. In depth, the eviction wave. We'll meet a landlord who's homeless after her tenants stopped paying rent. Heat and humidity. The 95 million Americans who face extreme temperature. Plus, why Lake Tahoe now has the worst air pollution in the country. Williams sisters drop out. Why two of tennis's top players are skipping the U.S. Open. And the power of determination. How a wounded warrior became a Paralympic medalist. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell. Reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us. There is a lot of news tonight out of Afghanistan where the U.S. withdrawal has reached a critical phase. As the evacuation of Americans and our Afghan allies reaches the final days, we have just learned tonight that the U.S. military is secretly rescuing Americans stuck outside of the Kabul airport using helicopters and even some ground troops. About 4,500 Americans have been flown out of the country so far, and the State Department now says it has a clearer idea of how many remain and is desperately 
trying to contact them. So in a moment, we will speak with a top U.S. diplomat in Afghanistan about what happens to Americans who do not get out before the president's August 31st deadline to withdraw U.S. forces. For now, the military flights out of Kabul continue. All told, more than 88,000 people have been evacuated since July. But tonight, the biggest threat to this historic evacuation is a real and immediate threat. U.S. officials warning the terrorist group ISIS-K has the ability to attack the airport. CBS's Nancy Cordes is going to lead us off tonight from the White House. Good evening, Nancy. Good evening, Nora. And tonight we are learning that the military has been conducting more emergency missions to rescue both American citizens and CIA personnel outside of the Kabul airport using choppers to do so. To date, the Secretary of State saying that of the 6,000 or so Americans who were in Afghanistan at the start of the month, about three quarters of them have now been evacuated. This is very high risk. Secretary Blinken said the State Department has contacted about 500 Americans in the past 24 hours, giving them instructions on how to get to safety. But that leaves about 1,000 Americans whose wishes and status are unclear. We're aggressively reaching out to them multiple times a day through multiple channels of communication, phone, email, text messaging, to determine whether they still want to leave uh, and uh, to get the most up-to-date information and instructions to them for how to do so. More than 70,000 Afghans have now been evacuated, but thousands more slog through sewage and wait in makeshift camps outside Kabul's airport as soldiers guard the walls. Reporter Sekunder Kermani from our partner BBC spoke to some who have the papers to leave and many who don't. We've been waiting here for six days and six nights. The American embassy told us to come here, but we can't get past all these crazy people. There's no way we can stay here. The Americans should shoot us or let us through. There are also reports of Afghans being beaten or forced to pay bribes by Taliban fighters as they try to get into the airport. Even as Pentagon officials insist, the Taliban is cooperating. Not saying it's been perfect, but by and large, the people that we have uh, made clear to the Taliban that we want to have access through the checkpoints have been able to get through. But he had choice words today for two unannounced airport visitors, Democrat Seth Moulton and Republican Peter Meyer, who flew there yesterday. They certainly took time away from what we had been planning to do that day. The two congressmen called it oversight. Some of their colleagues called it a stunt. It was not, in my view, a good idea. The Secretary of State insisted today that the U.S. will continue to help Americans and qualified Afghans get out of the country even after the U.S. military departs in six days. But he was intentionally vague, Nora, about how the U.S. plans to pull that off once all the troops are gone. Nancy Cordes, thank you. We want to turn now to our exclusive interview with the top U.S. diplomat in Afghanistan. Earlier today, we spoke with Ambassador Ross Wilson. He's no longer at the embassy in Kabul, but instead working out of that airport. We asked him about the Americans still in the country. We've been working our way through uh, through the lists and through the numbers. We have the state through the State Department and through our uh, consular officers in in the region around uh, Afghanistan and elsewhere. Uh, been placing phone calls to all, virtually all of those who are who have registered with us, to find out: Are they still in Afghanistan? 
Are they interested in leaving Afghanistan? Do they need help in leaving? That work has uh, has produced a, a significant additional uh, set of people. When the U.S. pulls out, will diplomats stay behind? I'm not sure I want to give you a, a, a firm answer on that. Uh, there are still decisions to be made in Washington about the future shape of, of our presence and our activities here. Uh, and, uh, and maybe I'll just leave it at that. The question has been raised. Why didn't the U.S. get out Americans and our Afghani friends before the Taliban were able to take control of Kabul? You warned about this in a cable. Were you ignored? We put out uh, repeated warnings every three weeks to Americans going back to, I think, March or April. Uh, each one in stronger terms, leave now, leave immediately. Uh, never in my my uh, 40 years of working, uh, uh, since I began working at the State Department, have I seen such strong, uh, such strong language used. Uh, people chose not to leave. That's That's their business. That's their right. Uh, I, I, we regret now that, that uh, many may find themselves in a position that they would rather not be in, uh, and we are determined to try, to try to help them. Ambassador, August 31st is the deadline for boots on the ground. But if an American or Afghan wants to get out, they have to get to the airport before that date, correct? Well, I, I, we would like for all those who wish to get out of this country to do so and to be able to do so by, by August 31st, and especially American citizens. Our commitment in this country and our involvement in this country is, doesn't end on that date. Uh, we believe that there will be, uh, there will be uh, possibilities uh, for Americans to be able to get out of this country. That's been part of of the nascent conversations, many of which have taken place in Doha uh, about uh, with, with the Taliban, about, uh, about potential ways forward. Uh, you know, we'll have to see how that works out, but America's commitment and, uh, to American citizens in particular, uh, to our staff, to those who served our country, that, that isn't going to end. Uh, and I believe that, that those who uh, come after us here We'll continue to have that at the top of their priorities, both both in this country generally and especially uh, with the Taliban and, and whatever form of uh, government uh, this country takes. The American ambassador there. All right, we're going to turn now to the COVID pandemic. There's big news about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Studies on recipients of the J&J shot found that booster doses generated a rapid and robust spike in antibodies. We get more on that from CBS's Mark Strassman. As early as next month, boosters could go in the arms of Johnson & Johnson's 14 million vaccine recipients. Booster protection surged in a J&J clinical trial. Antibodies against the virus jumped nine times higher with a second shot. Federal approval still required. Immunocompromised recipients likely would get first priority. Today's announcement um, does provide some reassurance, a booster dose in people who initially got J&J vaccine is good news. Our country remains half vaccinated. In one hotspot, Mississippi, barely one person in three has been fully vaccinated. As this graph shows, COVID has roared back with a vengeance. Its spring highs dwarfed by this summer surge. Kids already getting sick of school is one thing, but getting sick in school another. Statewide, almost 12,000 students have tested positive, 5,700 last week alone. 
You have a good day. Erica Jones has two kids, including her first grader, Kenley. She's also president of the Mississippi Association of Educators. The group now urges a mask mandate in all schools. We've roughly been in school less than three weeks, and we've already had to send 30,000 students out to be quarantined. Eighth grader Michaela Robinson never got that chance. That was my, my only daughter, my only child. Justin Waddle is Michaela's father. The 13-year-old felt sick on a Wednesday and died of COVID three days later. It was a shock to everybody, the whole family. An outbreak has now closed Michaela's entire school district for two weeks. Too few families have reliable internet to hold virtual classes. COVID has overwhelmed Mississippi's hospitals. St. Dominic's here in Jackson set up this screening tent, and in the next couple of days, they're going to use it to screen and potentially test patients for the virus. Nora? Mark Strassman, thank you so much. Let's turn now to our special back-to-school series. The U.S. Department of Education says enrollment in public schools during the pandemic has dropped by more than one and a half million students. Some have switched to private schools or at-home learning. Others have just vanished from the system. CBS's Carter Evans now on America's Lost Students. At Tate Elementary in Las Vegas, counselors are working the phones. We were just concerned because they haven't started the first day of school. They're looking for children still missing from class weeks after the school year began, like seven-year-old George Gomez. So go ahead and take a deep breath and let it out. The nervous second grader has not been inside a classroom since kindergarten after more than a year of remote learning. Nice to meet you. His mom finally decided to enroll him after a doctor convinced her. What kept you from putting the kids back I in school? I kind of like was scared and concerned because none of us had a COVID shot at all. So we all got a shot. Do you feel safer now? Yes. Sarah Popek is the school's principal. We do have some students who are not back because their parents are concerned. This zip code in particular was hit very hard with COVID. Across town at Orr Middle School, empty desks are constant reminders of classmates who vanished. The campus normally holds up to 1,200 students. This year, only 871 were expected. And how many showed up the first day of school? We basically, 400 didn't show up. 400? Correct. That's a lot of students. It is a lot of students. Nationwide, it's estimated up to 3 million children stopped attending classes in person or online after pandemic shutdowns last year. Your funding is based on how many students come to school. If these students don't show up, it may cause a a reduction in staffing. Back at Tate Elementary, George is now catching up with his classmates. How does it feel to be back? Good. Good? Administrators now plan to go door to door to track down the remaining lost kids. Carter Evans, CBS News, Las Vegas. And tonight we've learned a shocking number from the Treasury Department. Nearly 90 percent of the almost 50 billion dollars allocated by Congress for rental assistance has not been distributed. Now that money is meant for landlords whose tenants have stopped paying rent and cannot be evicted during the pandemic. CBS's Mololengi reports in depth on the consequences for landlords in America's eviction crisis. Brandy Lacasse has been waiting on rent for nearly a year. I've cried many nights, like thinking, where, where's my money? Lacasse owns three properties in upstate New York, but the single mother and Air Force veteran is functionally homeless after falling on some hard times. Lacasse says after notifying tenants they had to move out so she could move in, they simply stopped paying. 
and stayed put. She and her daughter have been living out of her car and staying with friends. Despite more than $23,000 in unpaid rent, Lacoste can't force her tenants out because of state and federal moratoriums on evictions. I don't understand how they can give my private property to somebody to live for free. I bought that property. I fixed it up with my blood, sweat and tears. The policies were meant to protect vulnerable renters during the pandemic, but some property owners say they have become collateral damage. One thing that's very clear is we have no housing safety net. Vincent Reyna, a housing policy expert and professor at the University of Pennsylvania, co-authored a new report showing that nearly 10 percent of landlords around the country collected less than half of their rent in 2020. Small landlords owning fewer than six units were most affected. We're forcing low-income households and owners to essentially bear the cost of that in this current moment. And that's unfair to both parties. I feel bad that I would have not been able to pay her. Carla MacArthur is Lacasse's tenant. With child care costs for her daughter and an autistic son, she says she can't pay rent. We've gone through two incomes. I have had COVID-19 twice. My kids all have had it once. My husband's had it once. We've been affected by the virus. MacArthur has been approved for rent relief in New York, but the state hasn't paid Lacasse yet. So far, New York has sent about 8% of its federal allotment of $2.6 billion relief dollars directly to landlords. I'm not sure what she may do when the moratorium's lifted. That's what I'm afraid of being homeless. Two families trying to avoid the same fate. I invested in these properties never thinking I wouldn't have a place to live. On opposite sides of a looming crisis. I just want my house. That's it. I just want my house. Mola Lange, CBS News, New York. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this, all of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. Tonight, more than 95 million Americans are under heat alerts from Southern California to Maine. About a dozen records were broken today, including 105 degrees in Medicine Lodge, Kansas. Here in D.C., we could hit a record high tomorrow. The feels-like temperature in Springfield, Massachusetts, is expected to top 100. The mercury could soar to 115 in Yuma, Arizona. Be safe out there. Well, tonight, the Caldor wildfire is not only threatening thousands of homes near California's Lake Tahoe, it's making the air dangerous to breathe. The area shrouded in ash and yellow smoke now has the worst air pollution in the country. This big news, both Serena and Venus Williams dropped out of the U.S. Open today. Serena says she needs more time to heal from the torn hamstring she suffered at Wimbledon, which also forced her to miss the Olympics. Venus is also nursing a leg injury. And on the men's side, Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer are sidelined because of injuries. Melissa Stockwell helped lead the U.S. team as a flag bearer at the Paralympics. The Iraq War vet was the first female American soldier to lose a limb in combat. Representing the U.S. means everything to her. And here is CBS's Dana Jacobson.
Just three weeks into Melissa Stockwell's 2004 Iraq deployment, a roadside bomb changed the course of her life, taking her leg and sending her to Walter Reed Army Medical Center. And I remember getting there and I looked around and I saw soldiers who were missing both legs. They had a leg and an arm missing. They had lost their eyesight. And I thought, holy cow, am I lucky? I mean, all I lost was one leg. She found refuge in the hospital pool. I jumped in the pool for the first time, and I didn't have to wear a prosthetic leg, and it was just like this freeing feeling. Four years later, she was swimming for the U.S. at the Beijing Paralympics. This flag that I am so passionate about, looking back, it was what was meant to be. You wanted to serve the country, Mm -hmm. and you were. After Beijing, she tackled new challenges, motherhood and the triathlon. I used to think triathletes were crazy, because it's like you swim, you bike, and you run, like, on the same day. I'm like, who wants to do that? Turns out... She did. At the Rio Paralympics on September 11, 2016, Stockwell won a bronze medal. When she showed it to her then two-year-old son... I threw it. It hit my prosthetic leg, which indented my brand new medal, which I was upset about for all of, like, 30 seconds. And then I'm like, you know what? That adds character. I am so pumped. In Tokyo, Stockwell is hoping for a new medal, one without a dent. When she competes in the triathlon Friday... Dana Jacobson, CBS News, Colorado Springs. And good luck to Melissa and the team, and we could all use a little bit of her grit and attitude. Tomorrow in our Back to School series, America's youth face a mental health crisis after more than a year of remote learning. We'll look at what's being done to help. And if you can't watch live, set your DVR so you can watch us later. That's tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night. If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.